Hi folks and welcome to the Divorce Cowboy podcast. My name is Tamir Berkman and two and a half years ago I went through separation. It was the most challenging time in my life. Now as a separation coach I help men sleep better, get clarity and move forward. I hope you enjoy listening to this week's episode. Here we go. Hi everyone, thanks again for joining me on the Divorce Cowboy podcast. With me today is Marguerite. Hi Marguerite, how are you? Hi Tamir, doing well, thank you, and thanks for the invitation. No worries, a pleasure to have you. So yeah, maybe start with telling a little bit uh, about what you do. Sure, well, my background is as a lawyer and I still work as a collaborative lawyer and a mediator. So I'm somebody who's been around working in the family law system for many decades now. And I left the mainstream system about 10 or 12 years ago because I felt it was failing clients and I found the pressure of working in that system too much for me because it was really against my values. I found it was very cost-driven and whatever promises I was making to my clients to try and make this the best process possible. Working in that mainstream system, I couldn't really deliver on those promises. So a long time ago, uh, back in the 90s, I did mediation training, but I was still working in conventional legal firms in those days, which makes it quite tricky to work as a mediator. And I then came across collaborative practice and I felt that was that thing that I had always dreamt about but didn't know existed and didn't know there was a name for it. So that was the thing that really fired me up and made it seem very possible that there was a way of helping families in at, at a really gold standard level to get through separation. And I'll describe that in more detail perhaps later on. But that's what I do. I have two businesses, Melka, which is the collaborative business where we do collaborative cases and mediation, and a separate business called Smart Separation, which is essentially a triage and referral business, which I've created because I felt one of the missteps that people made in the beginning of divorce and separation was sometimes to go big, uh, big law, and look for a bulldog lawyer who they thought was going to solve all their problems and very often I think a lawyer is not the first person that people need to see. I'm sure you'd have experience of that, Tamir, when they're going through separation. And I wanted to give people the opportunity to have a discussion which is much broader than law, so hence smart separation. Yeah, so it's really, um, it's really about you figuring out that the way we do divorce is flawed or the, the, the general way that we look at it is maybe um, very one-sided? I think the family law system, whatever changes we've made along the way, and despite the fact that Australia is probably seen as the model system around the world, I think it's the wrong system for families who are separating. Because any pathway that leads you there or could do so is based on an adversarial mindset where we're searching for empirical truth and we're trying to find the winning argument that as a lawyer, that's my job, to find the winning argument to elevate my client's position. And what most families are struggling with is the emotional impact of the divorce. They're worried about their children. They're worried about their money. They're worried about self-identity. 
and how they're actually just going to do their days in the middle of that chaos. And it often reminds me of any other disaster, a natural disaster, and we're sitting in the middle of a country that's very flooded at the moment. But uh, anything that's outside your control, when you're not the person who decided that was how you wanted your relationship to go, the last thing I think you're doing is lying awake at night thinking about the Family Law Act, but people don't know who else they should approach other than lawyers. The conversation is really still around the idea that lawyers are the gatekeepers into whatever mediation or collaboration or legal process you might be thinking about going into. So I think whether or not that system of adversarial law is broken for commercial and contract disputes, it's certainly broken for families. It's the wrong system. It was always broken. Yeah, I remember a conversation that uh, you and I had. And you mentioned that you said, oh, imagine what will happen if the separation process, the divorce process, will be held with a health department, for example. Yeah, yeah. Imagine if we just looked at it completely differently and if lawyers hadn't taken up so much of the world's oxygen and become members of parliament. And, of course, there are historical reasons why the law took over the separation space, but a lot of those are no longer valid. And it's not really what people want and need but it's just that they that's what they know exists, so that's where they head. Mm, yeah, so in another world, people will just maybe approach their GP and say, hey, look, I'm separated, yeah. and the GP will go, oh, no problem, here you go, here's the health department path to separation. Yes, yeah, the, the psychological health and well-being, the practical health and well-being, looking at this entirely from the perspective of children when they're little not that I think our family law system does a terrible job. It is very focused on the best interests of children, but how we get to a decision about what is best for children is still down that adversarial path. And child psychologists will be the expert witnesses in that forum. And it always seems to me such a shame when I hear those very child psychologists saying, by the time I get to be a court witness in that system, I can no longer help this family, it's too late. And that person with their skills and resources could have been employed by the, the parents in that family right back at the beginning to do constructive work. And it's such a loss that we don't understand and value that work that child psychologists could be doing right at the beginning. And because often parents just need some education and a place to understand what might be going on for their kids. And once they hear that from the same person, obviously somebody with skills whom they trust, it takes a lot of the sting out of those conversations because it really does bring it back to what's going on for your kids. Yeah, so you mentioned the psychologist and actually on your website, you have this really video about that. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, the view of the child psychologists uh, in in our video is, is talking about the fact that you, you need to hear from the children what their experience is and really to think about it from a child's perspective. And I think that once parents get into the adversarial system, most often, whilst they love their children and want to do best for the children, they're not able to put to one side their own interrelationship conflict enough to put the kids first. 
And I, I don't say that lightly because, as you know, people are in incredible pain and distress. But those parents who are being asked to make decisions for their children are suffering such a level of dysfunction in their relationship and suffering in their different ways so much that they can't, can't really truly necessarily think about how this is from a child's perspective and what's going to be best for the kids. They end up arguing with each other and focusing on rights and what seems fair for them, which is understandable. Mm. So is it a matter of put your own mask first, like on an airplane, if when, when there's something, something goes wrong, you're in an emergency, there's no cabin pressure, just put your mask on first so you can help yourself and then you can help your kid. Yeah, I think it's a really valid analogy. I, I completely agree with that because if you're not okay, you can't be okay in the sense of being available as an effective parent, but you also can't be okay as a co-parent and somebody who has to negotiate the big stuff, of course, you know, where are the children sleeping and spending their holidays, but it's the little stuff that often really rubs, isn't it, for families when they separate, drop off and pick up arrangements and, and the small things. And I think if you're not doing very well yourself, those small things can get out of proportion. So, yeah, mask on first. Yeah, and it's a concept that I was struggling with because, um, and, and I speak as a man, of course, my life was about taking care of my partner, yeah. responsible for her happiness and also responsible for my kid. Mm. It was very, the concept of self-care was alien to yeah. me. Yes, and I, and I think it often is alien to people in the busyness of our lives, isn't it? And it's so wrapped up in self-identity. So you're describing yourself as the carer and the provider for your family and that great sense of responsibility that you had. And I think it's shared by many men. And the, the other partner, the mother, may be feeling overburdened by her, their responsibilities as well. And I think most people would say it's a stage of life where you do tend to lose grip about your own identity to an extent at least. And it does make it very difficult to think about self-care when you're lost in the everyday practicalities, the, the commute slog, the earning slog, the, the caring for children slog, all of which is really hard. Mm. And then there's separation on top of that, right? So suddenly there's a crisis yeah. that even pushes forward the notion of self-care. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. To the, to the background, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It's an emergency and it really needs to be done, but how on earth do you juggle that with all of the other bushfires that you're putting out? It's really tough. Mm -hmm. So what can people do when they reach this situation? What are the options? So are you thinking about when people get to the, sep the separation moment of deciding that they're going to separate? Yeah, so, so there is um, the law system. There is, hey, let's get the lawyers and, and they can fight it out. What other options do we have? I think there are many options. And it really depends on how well you can function as a couple thinking about separation. So for a lot of people, that's just not going to be possible. If you're not really on board with that idea or really struggling to accept it, 
I think that's very different when two people have come to a, a parting of the ways because they both agree that things aren't as they should be for whatever reason. But I think if people can decide what they're not going to do and avoid some of the missteps and to think about we, if we're parents, we have to have conversations with each other forever. If we're not parents, we still have extended families, in-laws, friendship relationships, and our worlds are very connected. So I think often one of the really good things that people can do is decide to sit with some facilitator, therapist, somebody else they trust and understand who can help them plan what they're going to be like as two people in the future. So it's a bit like relationship counselling for a separated relationship rather than trying to reconcile and mend a relationship so it can, can continue to go ahead as a marriage or partnership relationship and it's saying okay now we're separated what's going on which might be an exploration of how they got to the point they are um, but needing to have some really vulnerable and open conversations about what they're planning to do for the future and I think they're really hard conversations for people to have themselves I think they really need most people need help to have that conversation so having a plan for how you're going to be in this world as a separated person in an ideal situation, to me, that's the first thing you would do. I remember well, it's probably hard for me not to the find first. that plan. Sorry? It was very hard for me to find a plan because I didn't, there wasn't a roadmap. There was, a, oh, you're getting divorced, you're getting separated, here you go, that's what you do. Like, yes. In, in other cases, there's no ritual, there's no ceremony. Correct. No there isn't a roadmap. Thing. Yeah. Mm. And that's what I'm trying to do in smart separation is give people an action plan and a roadmap so that they can understand that there's a way of stepping through this. And when you get to the negotiation and settlement stage, it's why at Melka we have a five-step process for how you get through your collaboration but everybody does need a plan because everybody finds themselves in a state of chaos. And you know that there are many things that need to be done, but how on earth do you prioritize them? And how do you prioritize them in terms of your own needs when you're trying to take into account the needs of other people in your family? And for most people, it's a pretty messy time. Mm, yeah, so, so what's involved in that roadmap? If you can take me from the smart separation and then the mediation and what you yeah. do. Okay. How does the process look like? Well, I think the roadmap is, is begins really at the point where one or other of you decides that there's going to be a separation and thinking about how do you make that message clear and kind? Are you clear about your own ideas? Is this a definite for you? What kind of therapeutic or counselling help do you need to be clear about your own message? Um, and there are such things as make sure that apart from your therapist, the very first person you speak to about this idea is your partner. Don't tell the children first. Don't tell your work colleagues. Don't tell your family. Give your partner the respect of having that conversation. Sometimes that's not safe emotionally or physically. And clearly that has to be taken into account. 
But when it is safe, although difficult, you might write something to the person, make a time when you say, I want to sit down with you and speak about our relationship or have a conversation with you. So trying to think about ways that you can be as compassionate as possible because you may be going to blindside somebody and the thing that everybody struggles with is that they're going to hurt someone. And none of us or very few of us actually ever want to do that. So as part of that conversation, being able to say, and the way I would like us to be able to go about this is as amicably and peacefully and kindly as possible. And for some people, the first conversation they might want to have with a professional advisor might be with a child specialist. How do we speak to our kids about this? Or it might be the person who didn't make that decision needs some therapeutic or counselling support themselves to say, hey, I need time and I need to do some things before I can possibly come to terms with this to the extent where I can even think about speaking to the kids or child or having any other settlement kind of conversation. So it's being prepared to take the necessary time as part of respect and, and, and common sense that you would show to each other. So setting up um, a, a good foundation for the future is going to be really essential at that stage. When you've done that, um, I think you then start thinking about how difficult is this going to be? Have we got financial questions that we need to look at? Is it that our communication is really not working well? Can we come up with a broad agreement and we just need some help to finesse it? So think about where you find yourselves. Do we agree about the kids but not about the money? Do we agree about the money but not about the kids? And then you need to start looking for the kind of help you need. If you've got all issues on the table, then I think a, a collaborative team where you've got a collaborative, civilised, well-trained collaborative lawyer on your team as well as a psychologist or family consultant, somebody from the social sciences, who's going to help with communication, thinking about the future, and a financial planner who's going to be not just talking about gathering together information to create a, a table of assets and liabilities, but somebody who can really give some sense and meaning to the money and think about future-proofing long-term decisions. You know, what does this look like in five years? And when you're surrounded by that kind of a team, you have the benefit, or, or I do as a lawyer, of understanding much more about what might be going on for my client and their partner. Are they behaving in a particular way out of fear, anger, avoidance? There might be all sorts of things that are going on. But unless I've got that psychologist who's neutral to the process, who's able to interpret the world for me, I can't do nearly such good work as I can with that benefit. Um, another alternative, of course, is mediation. For lots of people, that works really well. There's lots of government money in mediation in this country. You have a choice of private mediation, government-funded mediation. But you might also think about what that means, because it's not one definition in this country or any country really mediation. Do we need this to include a child specialist? Do we need some help with some legal advice or understanding of the legal system before we go into the mediation? Do we need some communication work? What are the power imbalances here? 
who needs some support even to be able to do this? Is this face-to-face, -face, Zoom, separate rooms? What's the background of the mediator? They've got to be independent. They've got to be neutral. They can't give legal advice. It's not a values-free zone. So do I want my mediator to be somebody from a social science background? Do I want them from a commercial background, a legal background? So there's a lot of thought to be given to the various professionals that you might approach. Um, and if you, if you choose to, if things are really a bit sad and you don't think you can have any kind of reasonable conversation or you're scared of the other person, um, that other person is dangerous to you, then really the best thing you can do is consult lawyers and work out the safest arm's length process where you can do what you need to do. In some cases that will involve going to the court. Sometimes that's only really just to get the other person in the same place at the same time around the negotiation table. And what we know is very few people who start off in the family court go all the way through to a full hearing when, it, when a judge says, these are the decisions I've just made for your life. <laughs> Not many people actually get to that stage, which tells us a big story. If you don't need the judge at the very last minute, what could you have done along the way to save yourself getting to the door of the court? What help could you have called in? Um, what respect could you have, what, and care could you have shown to the other person so that they were in a position and a situation to be able to talk? You know, what, what was everybody bringing to this? What's everyone's fears and positions? It sounds like um, the mediation process or even the process beforehand that road to take, which is not the lawyers, is a lot yeah. more involved and there's a lot more awareness around it. Um, I will probably need to decide a, a lot of more on a lot more things than just who, which lawyer am I taking, right? Like you mentioned, yeah. like, is there a child psychologist? Is it a, a, another um, coach or mentor that goes in? And yes all these little decisions along the way. Yeah, and really they're big decisions because they set the pathway. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, the idea of coaching and divorce coaching, is it money coaching you need? Lots of people feel they lack facility and awareness around money and they don't want to go into a negotiation until they power themselves up with some information and knowledge. So you, you start where makes sense to you, but for me it's more a choice of, Who's my therapist? Who's my financial planner? Who's my anyone other probably than my lawyer? <laughs> um, it is really tough because I wasn't even thinking about these things when I wasn't separating. Now, in a time of a crisis, I need to make yes. decisions, find all these people, probably Google and research this for a few hours when I'm in this emotional roller coaster. Yeah, and it is really tough. So I think any wise elder or relative in your community, whether it's your GP, somebody you, you're connected with to have a brainstorm and everybody needs supporters and definitely professional support from therapists is a really wonderful thing. But as you know, Tamir, you, you can't be with that person 24 hours a day. So looking out for people who can truly support you, which I think sometimes is challenging you as well, because you don't really necessarily want your sounding board to be somebody who is going to agree with everything you're saying and feeling and experiencing. Some reality checking in that conversation can be the kindest thing. 
Um, and also I find that people who are really willing to share their separation experiences are often people who did it tough. They may be people who found lessons, but people who, no one sails through, but people who went through it more smoothly have less to say. So I think it just means that there are potentially more tough or negative stories out there to be talk, spoken about than good stories. And we have to remember that there are plenty of good stories and people do manage separation very well, but it's usually because they rely on their own insights that they've developed in other ways, not in preparation for separation, but it serves you, or relying on some wise counsel right at the beginning. So yeah, so that will be the your advice for the first step. Find someone that can guide you, mentor you, provide counsel. And it's really why I started Smart Separation, because that wasn't out there. There didn't seem to me to be anywhere that a person could go. And in Smart Separation, whilst my background is as a lawyer and I might give people legal information and even some advice at times, that's not what I'm there to do. I'm, I'm having a first look and saying, how complicated is this or is this not? And of course, I do that on Zoom. And fortunately, Australia is uh, a single jurisdiction for family law. But really what people need in all situations is a plan. And that's what they, you know, that's what I create in Smart Separation is the action plan. But taking that idea for yourself, create your own action plan or speak about it to a trusted colleague, friend or buddy, but that's what you need is a plan. So, yeah, I'm trying to piece together some sort of a, um, you know, the, the three, three things you need to do when you first discover there is that one of you wants to separate. Yep. So the first thing will probably be to get support. The second thing will be to actually communicate with that partner as soon as possible and be honest and clear in a very kind, supportive way. Yeah. And the third one is maybe go together to create a plan for your family and for your future. That's exactly spot on. Mm. And I'd say that some of the things to think about and hang on to when you're making the decision to separate or if your partner has made that decision, whatever stage you're at, it's easy to judge the person who leaves the relationship as being the more together in the situation. They're not necessarily, everybody suffers in their own way. But thinking about in five years time, what do I want this to look like? If I watch the video of my separation, who do I want to be in that video? Do I want my my children, do I want myself, my colleagues, the people I care about to see me behave in a way that I can be proud of, which isn't to say that you're not allowed to be a human. No one's going to be perfect. Everyone's going to be distressed and make mistakes and do things that are regrettable. But in an overall sense, decide to make yourself proud of the way you conducted yourself. That's a good tip. I do remember that during my separation, um, my partner initiated this. And th there were two years that were, I was in a limbo. So call it a limbo, call it denial. Um, um, 
probably um, having a lot of shame around the separation. But the one thing that we did talk about was that we're going to we're going to advance in a way that will feel safe for both of us. So every step in the way needs to be on a sure footing. If one of us feels that they can't progress the next step, then we need to talk about it and make sure that this step is safe for them to continue on. Mm. I think that anchor, that concept, yes. helped us to just progress together very slowly and not do something very rash or very uh, emotion-based. And, and doing things. Sounds like you did an amazing job. Yeah, thanks. Just got lucky. <laughs> uh, well, I, it has to be more than luck. It's very considered and respectful of each other because when you're not at the same pace and you're having to hold back or move forward to meet the other person, that's not necessarily easy. And I think in the end, that experience of you describe as being in limbo, it's uncertainty, isn't it? And I think everyone would say in the human experience, it's one of the things we find hardest to live with. Yeah, that's right. So I guess we had a relationship that we communicated well and we we were actually okay with just putting our egos aside and go, hey, look, let's do this in a kind, safe way so we can keep each other safe because we need each other for our daughter. And that was the anchor. The second anchor was our daughter, health and well-being is a top priority. So for that, we need to be safe. We need to be okay. We need to put the mask on ourselves and actually help each other with our masks. Yeah, that's that's a lovely analogy. And and I think it's an amazing story because not everybody can do it or articulate it as well. And I think one of the really big challenges for people, you know, I've never met a, a client who told me that they didn't love their child or children and that, that their child or children were not the first priority. But what that looks like on the ground day to day and putting aside your own pain, emotion, anger, fear, whatever it is, to be there for your child is it's not an easy thing to do, particularly if you're really in dispute with your co-parent. Yeah. So if I am able to somehow do these first three things, so get support, uh, someone who can counsel me, talk clearly, communicate, agree on a safe way to move forward, and then together come to a mediation process. How does it look like? So when you first approach a mediator, the way that mediator works will be explained. A mediator will typically have an intake interview with each of you separately, so they get an understanding of who you are, what's going to be really important to you, and mediators have different styles, but you might have an, you might have all of your financial data ready, you kind of hope so. Um, and then there's a statement to each other very often of what you want to achieve in the mediation, where do you want to end up? In collaboration, we would speak about that as goals, which are often statements of value. 
might be around well-being of children, having a cooperative or functional relationship with the other person, talking about trying to maintain community where it already exists or to buffer the children uh, if there are going to be really big changes, moves into state or something like that. So it's trying to work out not so much where you're different so that you can be brought back together in mediation. For me, it's let's see what you have in common and then let's see what's different. And people are in conflict. And I think understanding that the whole idea about mediation, collaboration and dispute resolution, resolution is really conflict work. But conflict doesn't mean war and it doesn't mean yelling and shouting. It means we have different ideas and we have to find a way to hear the other person's perspective. We may never share it, but to at least have the tolerance to hear the other perspective is one of the ways that people can be drawn together. But it's not easy work and there's no magic wand and mediators don't make decisions in order collaborative practitioners make decisions for people. What they're doing is providing a safe, open forum with facilitation so people can have conversations with each other that they've probably not been able to have for a long time, if ever. And trying to focus on the future, whereas in a litigation system, what you have to do is a lot of focus on the past to apportion credit, responsibility, blame, even though we're allegedly in a no-fault system, we're not really. And mediation and collaborative practice, dispute resolution are very much future focused. And asking people to compromise, you know, decide what are the things that you're gonna die in a ditch over and what are the things that you can let go. Bearing in mind, you know, where it is that you want to end up. So if, if we want to end up with a roof over our head for each of us, should we be arguing about the salad bowl or can we, leave that to one side and talk about the bigger stuff. Yeah, so you mentioned two things that um, I wanted to talk about. You said, uh, what do we have in common? Let's talk about that. And also earlier you said, what don't we want? So what, what we can agree on that we don't want? Or maybe, so it might be, we don't want to alienate the kids. Sure. Um, or we don't want to live at opposite sides of the city or the country or the state. Um, we don't want to fight so that we pay all of our money to professionals, typically lawyers, um, so that we deprive ourselves of more options. Yes. And, and we, don't, we don't want to forget to be creative in the options. Wow, so both of these questions actually leading to agreement. So yeah. an agreement on something. Yeah, and I think in a way mediation is an unfortunate word because it tends to me to suggest that people are actually in dispute and need to be brought together. I wish there was another name or a process whereby we could talk about identification of common ground which is one of the things that often happens when people share their goals in mediation and collaboration, not as a discrete process, but as part of that, they do come to realise what they have in common. They may express it differently. They may not trust that the other person really believes what they're saying. Um, and they may not be able to make the compromises necessary to get to where they want to go. 
but then that's the the skill of the collaborative practitioners and the mediators is to think what help do we screen in here we don't just say well this is impossible there's a, an irreconcilable difference but how do we really work with that and I think that there needs to be I would say no law student should ever get out of law school without having done some training about human behaviour and understanding and what it means for people to have ruptured attachments when their, their relationship breaks down. You know, what, what could actually be going on for that person? In what ways is what's going on for them emotionally or what is their natural personality that's actually stopping agreement because quite often as a practitioner, you look and you think, well, this is just so logical. Um, why are we here? But we're never, it's not that we're never there about the money or the practicalities, but we're very often there about something else. People's need for acknowledgement and forgiveness. So what can people do to be better at the process of mediation to be successful Mm -hmm. having a healthy separation? I think it's about preparation. And for me, a lot of that preparation is about knowing yourself. Where are my deficits? Um, what's my conflict style? Can I sit and have a reasonable discussion? What is going to trigger my partner about me? What am I going to be triggered by? Um, you know, and when I'm talking about deficits for a lot of people, that's having a lack of understanding about money. And people have often divided their roles in relationships, right? So one person's all over the money and one person's all over something else. And people have different power bases in relationships. But when the relationship ends, the power around money can often be really, really difficult. And it's not that people separated because of money. I'm not sure how many people do separate about money. I think it's it's relatively unusual. It might be the presenting issue, but it's different values, not, not the dollars. So if I feel that I need bolstering there before I can possibly go into a mediation and have a measured discussion, then I should go and get that money coaching or that financial planning advice. Um, if I'm really struggling with the divorce, but in a pretty normal way, I don't mean that I'm clinically depressed or something, think about divorce coaching, somebody to help me hold an idea that there is a future out there and how I take the steps towards that future. Um, other forms of coaching, it might be around the business you're in, um, life coaching, any kind of therapy, equine therapy, art therapy, there's all sorts of ways people can heal but sometimes time pressures mean that people don't have the opportunity to do as much of that self-work as they, as would be ideal. But that's not to say you can't say, okay, we've got some crisis management here, some interim things to deal with, let's do that. And then let's leave the big stuff. So being open to the idea that once in the process, you're not just on this crazy escalator, that means you have to keep going without pause. Yeah, so it's about really have self-care and self-love to surround yourself with help, with support. Yeah, yeah. And because that will help you to develop insight into what's going on for yourself. What, what part am I playing in this negotiation? What part did I play in the end of the relationship? And, you know, you probably know this as well as I do, that often... 
uh, history tells us we think we have a great memory or research tells us we think we have great memories, we actually don't. Things that we think are frozen there on that video screen and that's exactly what was said and by whom and how. Research tells us it didn't happen most times. So it often looks like one or both people reinvent the story of their marriage. And I don't think they're reinventing it in a way of trying to be dishonest, but we all have our different way of remembering and of placing ourselves in the centre of the memory um, and maybe as the person who had least responsibility. And sometimes there is one person who has the least responsibility. Um, that's how life is. But trying to give a bit of thought to that and not carrying all those same patterns of communication that's failed you anyway and everything else that was dysfunctional in the relationship, you have to decide to work on those things because the same things that ended your relationship are going to end your mediation. Yeah, absolutely. And I was lucky in a way to have a mentor that went through separation and he showed me some doors. He went, oh, you can read a book about it. You can start journaling. You can go and attend a men's circle. And yes. once I got to the men's circle and I started attending, I understood what it's like to be held by other men energetically and emotionally and how to become more aware of that love or lack of self-love that I have. And at some point, um, a few months later, I did go to a point when I had five people around me. And it was amazing. It was, it was a space of um, self-love and self-worthiness to say, I'm worthy of having a team around supporting me. I had my psychologist and I had my mentor and I had my coach and I had my equine therapist and I had my mom. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think anyone feels worthy and amazing at the moment when they separate, do they? So finding ways to, to build that, it's part of the support that I think that people need. And really delightful and pleasing story to hear how you found your way to that. So very often if people both share those ideals and can do some of that work, a settlement not so much falls out of the sky, but it's much less difficult if people both come to any negotiation process in a similar stage of acceptance or grief about separation. Although I'd say that's quite rare that that happens because the person who enunciates the decision or makes the decision has been thinking about it for some time before. So might have worked through a lot of their own grief and sadness and guilt and started to think about the practicalities and have a plan. Um, and the research tells us that that can have been going on for years, somewhere between two and six on average, apparently. Um, which is interesting because it tells us that people don't hasten to separation. It's a struggle. And the, the decision to stay or to go is a struggle. And it's usually a private, silent struggle and nobody's aware that that's happening for that person. And I think it's a sad thing that that person often feels judged and that they need to be the one to do all the giving and the compromising, but often they're the brave one. Yeah, it, it's definitely, um, it requires courage to step step out and go, hey, I actually don't want this anymore and be yeah, judged as a responsible party for whatever happens next. 
Yeah, yeah. I think I think people definitely feel that. And, you know, there's a kind of a societal thing. As a family lawyer, as people know I'm a family lawyer, people will always say to me or frequently say to me, why do people break up? Is, is, is it usually because somebody's having an affair? Is it usually about money? I say, it's usually not about any one thing. <laughs> uh, no. And, um, you know, don't judge people. Don't make up your story about why they might find themselves in this situation. Don't ask because um, it doesn't matter. You can support people in whatever way they need, but people don't need to be judged when they're separating because already shame and fear of judgment is a big a big factor in people's grief and confusion. What's the best way to support people when they're separating? I think it's to listen, um, not to judge, not to give advice unless you're asked for it, not to give the benefit of your uncle, aunt, friend, colleague's divorce, you know, the horror stories that I heard about, um, or this will definitely happen, or, you know, one of the things I often hear is, um, men or women, women should get X percentage. So are you going to get me that percentage? Because I understand that's what the law says. Well, the law doesn't say any such thing. So don't give legal advice. <laughs> don't judge, just listen. And the person will let you know what they're looking for. I mean, you might have obviously handy tips. They're looking for a therapist. You might know someone. They're looking for a real estate agent or a divorce coach or a financial advisor, you might know somebody. And that's different from telling a person how to run their lives. And I think just accepting that sometimes when we need a lot of help and support, we're not very nice to be around. And I think one of the things people do is get really tired of the person who's separating, going round and round and round and over and over the same ground without appearing to have made any progress or developed any understanding. That's a really hard thing as a friend to support somebody who's in that space. And after a while, it's probably kind to say, well, we keep going over this. Um, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> Here's some ideas if, you, if you're close enough and you get to that stage. But, yeah, I think listening is the key. Because most people work out their own ideas. They have, they have their own wisdom. Um, and, and they'll get there eventually. And speaking about it can be one of the ways that people get to their decisions. Yeah. And, and I found friends and family to be great and very supportive, but mm -hmm. they don't know what they don't know. They can't help me because they didn't go through it and because they don't have the right roadmap or tools to, to show me and teach me. Yeah. And they're not you. Mm. That's right. Great. It's been great chatting with you, Marguerite. Um, I've learned so much. And um, yeah, I also know that you wrote a book. Yes. Yes. Uh, that book is called Breaking Up Without Breaking Down. And that was written by Dr. Tina Sinclair, who is our co-founding psychologist, Trisha Peters, financial planner, and me as the lawyer. And... I usually advocate this book, which you can get from our website or we send it to you, uh, very much for people who are torn about whether to stay or go, because I think what Tina Sinclair has written about that dilemma is incredibly powerful. Also talking about the stages of grief for people who are separating and talking about the separation conversation 
So depending on where a person finds themselves, they're really valuable aspects of the book. And then we also talk about the options for mediation, collaboration, how you separate the pitfalls, the, the things to do right. So for me, it's really about starting the right way, building the right foundation, and probably anything you do in fear and anger isn't building a good foundation. So yes, thank you for mentioning the book, because I do think it's a really helpful resource. You can buy it on Amazon. The price varies from day to day, but I think it's never more expensive than about $10. But we're always happy to send one to people. Yeah, great, great advice. And uh, for anyone who wants to get in touch with you, how can they get in touch with you and Smart Separation and Melka? So the easiest thing is just to jump onto Google um, and we have the ability there for people to ring up, come and see us or make an appointment automatically uh, for a Zoom meeting. And for most people that seems to work. Um, but if people um, ring the office because they're not quite sure what they should be doing, um, the, the phone number, excuse me for having completely forgotten it, is on the website. So it's Melka, M-E-L-C-A, which is a collaborative centre dedicated to interdisciplinary team work, helping people from all aspects, um, and smart separation, which is the triage and referral. Um, both are around on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and the web. So, and there's a lot of free information on both of those websites that we really, it's there for people to use and, and if people can use it, even if they never see us, we're more than happy with that. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Tamir. It's always a pleasure to have a conversation with you. Thank you. Talk soon. Thanks for tuning in to another Divorce Cowboy episode. If you or anyone you know is going through separation, please check out divorcecowboy.com.au for free downloads and resources. Or shoot me an email at tamir, T-A-M-I-R, at divorcecowboy.com.au or catch me on LinkedIn or Facebook. Until then, keep moving forward.